Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I am the Grumpy Surfer and your host, Ads Lyson. Before we start the podcast today, just a couple of discount codes as always. So the first one is for Northcore. So for 15% off your Northcore surf and outdoor gear, use the code capital letters or one word TGSPOD15 to get 15% at the checkout. And for 20% off all of your Bra Surf merchandise, go to BraSurf.com co.uk for 20% and use the code capital letters grumpy surfer on the podcast today my guest was a former cage warriors bantamweight contender for the bantamweight title and is also a raw marines commando on the podcast we talk a little bit about his well we talk all about his mma career and all the stories behind that and also how he transitioned from a professional mma fighter through recruit training of Romans recruit training and where he is today. So please enjoy my conversation with Jordan Desborough. Jordan Desborough, welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Busy. Surfing a lot, doing things that I shouldn't be, but uh, oh, you tripping to uh, Guam for two weeks? Yeah, I got back what two weeks ago now, so um, opened a business in the two weeks that I've been back. So yeah, it's it's been an interesting time. I've made myself busy, but uh, yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm good. Um, I can tell you've been busy because I've been refreshing the Grumpy Surfer podcast, waiting for the next one. Uh, so I was quite surprised when you you asked me to come on here because I know you've had some good people on, people that I I enjoy listening to. So I hope I can sort of stay at the same sort of caliber and we can find something interesting to talk about. Mate, we've just had a cut chat before this, so you've got some stories. I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, I've I've been a little bit laxadaisical with um with the podcast, and yeah, we're going to start filtering back out two weeks again every two weeks. So yeah. So you will be my first fresh start after about a month, which is pretty cool. No pressure there then, yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, talk a little bit about your background. So you were a Cage Warriors bantamweight contender. Um, you're a high-level grappler, um, but you're also a Royal Marines commando as well. So we're going to take this right back to the very start. So, you know, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And how did you get into uh, mixed martial arts and, and martial arts as a whole? Yeah, so um, originally from Carlisle, I spent the first 18 years of my life up there. And the story of how I got into martial arts is, I think of it now, it's, it's quite an interesting one, I suppose. Um, obviously, I'm only 29 years old, but I've literally been watching the UFC for almost 20 years. First time I ever saw mixed martial arts, my brother, who's also a former amateur fighter, uh, he's in the, the car as well. He'd been shopping with my parents and he went to like a bargain bin in Asda and found a DVD, which was UFC Ultimate Submissions. And he was really into mixed, uh, into martial arts at this point. He was like a brown belt in Taekwondo and used to compete. And... He called me into the room, he came running through and was like, Jordan, come and look at this, come and look at this. And I remember the fight, it was Carlos Newton versus Matt Hughes. And Carlos Newton had Matt Hughes in the guillotine and all the muscles on his back were like just popping out. 
And it was my very first exposure to any, anything like this, like fighting. I'd never really been involved in fighting. I'd done a little bit of Taekwondo with my brother, but uh, I'd quit that and he'd carried it on. And straight away, like we both just sat there and watched this DVD and were trying to figure out what we were seeing because we'd never seen it before. Um, and this was in the days when the UFC was on Bravo in the UK, Bravo TV. Oh, okay. And I think of it now, and my mum used to let me and my brother stay up at like 3 a.m. as a, like a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old and watch UFC events. And this is back in the day. I think the very first UFC fight that I watched was Tito Ortiz versus Ken Shamrock 1 at UFC 40. It's a good fight. Great fight. Great. With all the... Uh, like the build up to it and the personality of those two. As a young kid, it was like WWE, just completely sucked us in. And from there, I was I was just hooked. Like, but never considered getting into it to compete or even to to train. I was just I loved watching it. Um, and naturally, I think my brother trained at this building in Carlisle. He was training in Taekwondo on the top floor of this building. It was like a four four story mill. I remember him telling me that the way he got into it, so he he got into mixed martial arts and was doing it for like two or three years before me. He fought on some good shows, had like a record of seven and one as an amateur before I even got started in mixed martial arts. But the story that he tells me is that he was going to Taekwondo on the top floor of this building. And at the same time, he saw these like really intimidating, like hard, like hard men going on to like the second floor. And he was really intrigued. And then he, he popped his head in one day and said, like, what, what are you guys doing here? I said, we're doing mixed martial arts. And that's how he got started. And then after him doing that for a few years, I'd been to a few of his fights. He was leaving to go to university. And that's when he said to me, you should come down and try this. Like, it was my thing, but I'm not going to be there. So come and give it a go. And the very first session that I did straight away, I think the first thing we did was... I held a leg pad for my brother and he kicked me in the leg. And because it was my brother, I think he, he he put it in and he hit me really hard. And I thought, fucking hell, I, I want to learn how to do this. Um, and then because I'd watched the UFC for quite a, lot, a long time, the very first session I went down to, I was, I was hitting submissions. I got somebody, the guy's actually, he was a pro fighter at that point. Uh, I got him in a triangle choke and submitted him. And this is like, I think I just turned 16. This is a fully grown man. And straight away, I was like, wow, I need, I need to keep doing this. What was the club called where your brother was training the, the second floor? Did it have a name? Yeah, it was, so this is how you can tell it was, what, 13 years ago? It was Stuart Hall Valetudo. Ah. Stuart Hall was, uh, I think he was a, his background in martial arts was traditional jiu-jitsu. And uh, he, I think, has also was just a fan and decided to get some guys together and start doing some training. And as as you can expect, like we were talking before this started about how mixed martial arts has became more mainstream in the UK in like the last maybe five to eight years. Like in terms of clubs and like the regulation of clubs and the standard of clubs and how people train is a lot better now. It's it's night and day compared to what it was. It was like the Wild West when I got into it. Like you hear a lot of people say this, but it really was. Um so I, I went down to training. I trained for three months. And Stuart, the coach, said to me, um, you, you know, you're doing pretty well. Your brother was pretty good. Do you fancy having a fight? I'm 16 years old. And he said, you'll probably get paid like 100 quid. 
And I thought, absolutely, like, sign me up, I'll, I'll get in there. <laughs> like, I was doing well with the guys in the gym. So I, I just thought it wouldn't be any different. I thought I'd just get in there and, like I was in the gym, I'd do well, I'd have a bit of a fight, nothing bad would come of it. And the first fight that I actually had was, I was 16 years old. I was matched up with a guy who was like 24 or 25, who had a, a record of five and two. A guy called Carl Fowler. He trained with the Sinclair brothers. I don't know if you know that, like old school UK MMA guys. No, I don't, I don't go that far back. Right, yeah. <laughs> Not with my knowledge anyway. Um, well, Rob Sinclair was like the Bama world champion. He was a really high level guy. And this, again, like you think 12 years ago in a sport, like if you look at the football in the Premier League, 12 years ago, there wasn't that much of a difference. It, it was a high level. Um, the first fight that I had, I think of it now, and it's it's criminal. I was actually put in there. Like, if you were to put somebody in that position now, put a 16-year-old in with a 24, 25-year-old who had seven fights and was training at high level with the most high-level guys in the UK at this point, I got in there. There was no way in. I turned up to the venue. First time I saw my opponent, I was sort of opposite the cage from him. And I got absolutely battered. Like, it's probably one of the worst beatings that I've... No, it is the worst beating that I've taken in the fight to the point where it was two five-minute rounds. So amateur rules now is eight-ounce gloves, three three-minute rounds, I think it is. This was the old semi-pro mixed martial arts rules. So it was four-ounce gloves. Everything goes apart from elbows and no headshots on the ground. And this guy was beating me up really badly to the point where he was looking at the referee and like saying to the referee, like, I don't really want to, I don't really want to hit this guy anymore. Well, this kid anymore, I suppose. Um, and I was calling him on. I was just like a little idiot, I suppose, at this point. And after that, weirdly, I didn't, it didn't put me off. Like I wanted to get back in there straight away. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Like you'd think after only a couple of months training, taking a, a big loss, but it was addictive, like, you know the buzz you get when you roll jujitsu afterwards. It was like that, t like, time 10. I'd never found anything like that, that that gave me that feeling. There's something very animalistic about, well, we talked about it before, cage fighting, MMA, fighting in general, martial arts. If you get into a, an actual full-on physical confrontation where, you, where you're locked into an arena. And it reminds me of uh, Mad Max and the Thunderdome, you know, one man, you know, two men enter, one man leaves. Yeah. That sort of sketch. And that was I, originally how the UFC was um, advertised, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Bare, bare knuckle, no holds barred, two men enter, one man, one man leaves. Which is probably why it took them so long to get officiated in lots of different states in America because it was orchestrated as cage fighting, where now we know, you know, you were talking about how it it's moved on so much. I think because now everyone, we've got social media and the mainstream media, especially with like fitness as a whole, has come along so, so far. And people actually understand now that there are different martial arts like boxing, like Muay Thai, like Jiu Jitsu, like wrestling, catch wrestling, sambo, lots and lots of different things. You tie them all together. Actually, this cage fighting isn't such a barbaric sport like the Colosseum days back back yeah. in Roman times. Actually, it takes a considerable amount of skill, time and fortitude to be able to maintain that sort of skill level to be able to compete at a high level, regardless of whether you're, you know, a beginner, semi-pro, pro. pro there's always those stepping stones to progress. 
And and I think people realize that now, and that's why it's become so mainstream because it actually has something for everybody at some point. I think with that as well, what makes it a lot more accepted now is the way they advertised the guys early on was that they were like a street fighter. Like this guy will get in there, he'll he'll look for headbutt, he'll look to get in the cuts. Now the broadcast, the, the people who do fighting a lot more, like you said about social media there, you can see that they are just normal guys. Like a lot of people are, are normal guys that are getting in there. And I think that's won over a lot of people. But yeah, we, we said it before we started. It used to be cage fighting and now it's it's widely accepted as mixed martial arts. And that is a martial art. The way I see it now is mixed martial arts in itself is a discipline that is a martial art by itself. You're talking about you got to the point where you just had a, had a turbo licking. Yeah, a bad, a bad beating there. How did you progress from there? So from from there, weirdly, the same the same thing happened again. I went back to the gym and we're talking about the animalistic sort of the feeling that you get when you're fighting. And because I'd got in there as a young kid and fought a, a, a 24, 25-year-old and I'd, I'd taken a lot of punches, people would give me a lot of praise afterwards. And now I realize it was the wrong sort of praise People should, someone should have been concerned that I was in there, but they would give me the praise. And as a 16 year old kid, you're getting fully grown men coming up to you and going, whoa, that was amazing. Like you're, you're so, you're so tough. So I just thought, yeah, let's roll on. Let's go again. Uh, so I started training for another fight. I did say to my coach at the time, like, I want to fight somebody who is more my level, my age. I was matched up a couple of months later. I think at this point I'd only trained for about six months with a guy who's my age, my weight, my experience. And then as tends to happen a lot with fights, especially in the UK on the domestic level at this point, the guy pulled out and the show was right at the end of June and a couple of weeks into July. So, so I, I got, the guy pulled out, the fight was off. Um, and my coach came to me and said, look, this guy's pulled. There's only one other option here. It's a guy who is two and four, so it's two wins, four losses, but it's a professional fight and it's at 66 kilos. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not taking it. And then he said, well, I can offer you 350 quid for this fight. And this, this sounds so stupid now, but like I was saying, a couple of weeks after this fight in the middle of July, I was going to uh, Malia with my friends. And as a, I think I just, I just turned 17. As a 17 year old, I thought, absolutely, sign me up again. Like at this point, I thought I'll just get in there, have a fight, it would be sound. Not thinking about the fact that I was fighting a man again, I was getting in there, and then this was a professional fight. So you can't go back from there. Once you've had a professional fight, you're in the prof you've got a professional record. Even though MMA in the UK at that point was completely ungoverned, it was still accepted that if you have a professional fight, you're a professional fighter. That's it. So I got in there with this guy and somehow managed to win the fight. I won the fight in about two minutes against this guy. He really, it's quite a high level guy actually. Um, he ended up having some really good fights on the domestic scene, a guy called Carl Fawcett. Um, I won the fight by triangle in two, like two minutes into the first round and then it was just, right, I'm off to the races now, I'm a professional fighter. I was a professional fighter by label, but Outside of that label, there was nothing professional about what I was doing. Well, after six months of just training? But it was six months of training, but 
going back to what my brother had said about he'd seen these hard men going into this room and been like quite intrigued what was what was happening. It was fighting professional. So the training days used to be a Wednesday and a Thursday. It was 7 p.m. till half past eight. So my total training at this point was three hours a week for a professional MMA fight. It's pretty much what the average person trains these a days day anyway. Now, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's amateurs these days that train more than that a day. Yeah. Um, and the training that we were doing wasn't mixed martial arts training. It was cage fighting training. So out of that hour and a half per session, maybe 30 minutes of it was rolling. The rest was like bear crawls, push-ups, just sparring, no, no coaching, no pointers, nothing. It was just it was, it was, we were just going in and fighting each other essentially to get ready for fights. Um, but yeah, like I said, that was it. Then I was I was off to the races. I was a professional fighter from that point. Same thing happened again after that. I I got offered another fight. This time it was against a guy who I considered to be a lower level than the guy had fought. So I thought, yeah, we'll do it again. And then I was two and I was a fighter. I won that fight by armbar again in like the first round. Um, and because I had, obviously I had the, the initial knock first where I got beat, but the next two fights that I had, I thought I was, I thought I was like unstoppable. I really did. I was like a 17 year old kid. I'd just got in there against these two men as a professional fighter. Both fights combined went for like four and a half minutes. And I thought I was absolutely unbeatable. And then I found out in the next fight that I, I was really, really, really beatable. Yeah, the next the next fight. So this this is probably the most like old school UK MMA sort of like how fights came about that I can think of. Just so, just just going back for what year is this? Because obviously this is all this, in like a really short oh, time this frame. Two thousand and nine. Okay. So yeah, so this is twelve years ago. Um, so the next fight that I got offered, I think of it now, and I just. I think it's absolutely retarded. But I uh, fought Brendan Laughlin, who is fighting on the PFL. He's got to the semi-finals of the PFL now. He fought on Bama. He's like he's one of the f- most consistently the best guys in the UK out of the last ten years. Um, and what I got told about him from my coach was, do you want? He said, "Do you want to fight this fight? It's at seventy kilos." And I was maybe sixty-six kilos wet through at this point, like. I said, yeah, like, who is, who's it against? I'm interested, like, so he told me it's against a guy, first time pro, he's never had a fight before. Ever, he's never had a fight before. You'll go in there, you'll, you'll smash him, like, you've just beat these two guys, you, you'll be all right. So I said, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, I think the date of this fight was right at the end of June, or like the middle of June, and it was my 18th birthday two weeks before, before I fought Brendan, and uh, I got absolutely paralytic drunk like really bad drunk, was carried out of the venue at like 11 p.m. And then two weeks later, I was fighting Brendan. About a week before the fight, one of the guys in, at the club said, have you seen who you're fighting? Like, I said, no, like, what do you mean? Like, I'm fighting someone who's never had a fight. And they're like, he's had a fight. Like, get yourself on YouTube. At this point, like, MMA fights on YouTube were just becoming a thing. So I went on YouTube and like searched for this guy and there was just like, six or seven videos of him knocking people out, out cold, uh, amateur. And I just thought, fuck me, like, what do I do here? So I went to speak to my coach and he said, look, it's up to you, but I think you can get in there. You can beat him. Like, you're better grappling than him. You take him down, you'll be all right. So again, young lad, I just thought, okay, my coach is telling me I'll be okay. I'll get in there with him. Um, and then the fight started with Brendan. 
And if you the fight's on YouTube now, like I've watched it once, but I, I, I never want to go back and watch his fight again. <laughs> honestly, uh, go and watch it after this. I get in there, I'm like really like overweight, out of shape, because the fight was at 70 kilos. Um, so I remember I was weighing like 66 kilos. And I said to one of the lads in the gym, I was like, I need to put some weight on for this fight. Like I didn't know about weight cutting at this point. Um, I need to put some weight on for this fight. And he said, start drinking milk. It's like, drink like four litres of milk a day and it'll, it'll put loads of weight. I, I don't know what the logic was at this point. Um, it's like, I drink guess like, there's some form of protein, maybe, like old school protein yeah. stereotype there. It was maybe? the kind of guys who were in this gym, were like old school like bodybuilder guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> drink four litres of milk a day and you'll put weight on. So I started doing this two weeks out from the fight, drinking four litres of milk a day. Um, yeah, and so the, f- the first round, he comes out, hits me straight away, and I think, fuck, like, I need to contain this fight. So I close up on him on the fence, he jumps a guillotine, I managed to survive somehow on on top for the rest of the round. Um, and I go back to my corner, and I remember thinking, like, I'm, I'm out of my, my league here, like, I should not be in here. And it's the only time I, I've ever said, I remember saying that I didn't want to go back out for, for, for a round like it cut me quite from from bottom from bottom guard he'd managed to win the round I was on top but I was just holding position with elbows from from uh, from his guard he'd cut all the side of my head I went back to my corner I was covered in blood and I said to my corner I said I want out of here like I'm I'm not going back out there and they said you, you are going back out there you've just managed to stay on top go back out there again so I went back out there and got knocked out straight I shot for a takedown went to my back and he's stood over the top of me as soon as I went to my back, hit me and knocked me out cold, unconscious. So next thing I remember, I was waking up in the changing rooms. And weirdly enough, there wasn't the sort of praise after that that I got for the, the first fight where I'd, I'd taken a lot of knocks. There wasn't the praise for that. Um, but yeah, that, that's, to me, like, when I talk about like, old school UK MMA, that's everything that was wrong with it. Like, from there, I sort of started, like, changing my focus and being like, okay, I need to, I need to find somewhere else. Like, I need to, get somewhere else where there's high level guys. I spoke to Brendan after the fight and I remember him saying how much he was training. And I started to put the pieces together and I was like, there's, there's something wrong here. Like, I'm not I'm not training at this level. I'm not training at this intensity. Um, so then I started to look around for where I could go. And like I mentioned before, my brother was in Manchester at, at university. Um, and he was training at SPG in Manchester with Carl Tanswell. I believe you've had Stapes on this podcast, haven't you? Yep, Stapes yeah. and, uh, and Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker, oh, so Yeah, he's, Kenny, he's trained with uh, Carl with as Carl, well. Yeah. He's got a um, big sign-up in the gym uh, with one of his sayings on there too. Yeah, it's a very cool saying, isn't it? Can you remember what it is? It's two ears, one mouth. There we go. And that, that sums him up perfectly. Um, so yeah, my brother's down there. I decided to go down to Manchester. Uh, the way that I decided to do it was to go to university with the guys of, right, I'm going to, be in Manchester, so I'm going to train full time. Uh, and weirdly enough, I ended up dropping out of university after a year to to end uh, to go full time with fighting. Um, so yeah, I decided to go SBG with Carl. And that yeah, that saying I think sums him up perfectly. You like like I say, you, you probably spoke to Kenny about him. You spoke to uh, Stapes about him. As soon as I met him, he. He spoke to me and said, like, okay, where are you from? What have you been doing? I told him and he, 
he was just laughing. He was just saying, like, "Fucking all right, right. I appreciate how game you are, but mm-hmm. that's retarded. Let's let's get you training properly." And straight away, you could see the difference. That that was my first ever taste of high level mixed martial arts training, as as we would know it now. Like you say, you train with Ken, with Kenny. Um, that that was the first time I'd been around somebody who was an actual martial artist. Like we were saying, there's difference in it was cage fighting. This was this was a guy who was he understood martial arts. He'd been a lifelong martial artist. Did, were the guys that were putting you into fights, like your coaches and stuff, were they were they getting paid for you to enter those fights too, or was um, it just a case of right? You're going to get 350 quid for this fight. Don't care who the guy is going to get you in there because it does. There's a bit of deconfliction there, isn't there? Really? You see, you talk about it now, and it sounds really bad, but we just didn't know any better. Like, we just we. It wasn't like I was. I wasn't being forced into that. There was there was other guys who were fighting out of this club, and doing well on the regional circuit. At the time, it was completely fine. It was the done thing. There was a lot of people who were training and fighting like that. Looking back at it now, it looks bad. But at the time, it, it was perfectly normal. Like There was people who were training at a high level, but there were also a lot of guys who were training like that. It's not a knock on those guys. Like None of us knew any better. We were all just, that's just what we were doing. And we were willingly getting in there and fighting and we were having good results. Like, like I said, by the time I, I joined um, SBG, I was four and two as a professional fighter. And I at 18? Yeah, 18. 18, yeah. Uh, Still, you know, you fought out of what? Out of those six fights, half of them must have been men. Oh, they were all, yeah. And uh, the first fight that I had that was somebody who, that was my age was my seventh professional, not eighth professional MMA fight. Yeah, eighth professional MMA fight. I mean, that's just hardcore in itself. A teenager fighting, you know, middle-aged or not middle-aged, like middle twenties, mid twenties guy that's fully developed. Has a bat had a bit of life experience behind him, and all you're doing is you're going into it because you want to earn a little bit of money. Someone's flashed that for you, just stupid in game. I think, more you're than like, anything, oh, yeah. yeah, fuck it, we'll just, we'll just give it a go, see where it goes. Yeah, but that, that, that's, that's how it sort of started with me with mixed martial arts. I sort of dipped my toe in the water, was having fun with it, and then before I knew it, I was like, hang on a minute, like, I'm not in a bad place with this, like, I could maybe do something with this. So, like, even when I moved to Manchester, obviously, I went through from university and then. When I dropped out of university, I ended up having to go home. So I, I left Manchester. I went home for like nine months. And then I sort of had to assess. Like I went I went home, tried to get a job to to move back to, to Manchester. And it took me a long time to get a job. It was obviously a smaller town. I was like a 19-year-old who didn't actually have any work experience or life experience. And I was going into like... If I did manage to get an interview, I was going in there like, yeah, so I just want to get a job, get some money so I can leave. Obviously, I didn't get didn't get hired. So eventually, I managed to save some money to move back to Manchester um, to go full-time. The way that happened was a mate of mine basically said, look, if you can get yourself down to Manchester on Friday, I can get you a, a shift on the doors, working it was at 42nd Street Nightclub in Manchester, which is like a really well-known indie nightclub in Manchester. He's like, I can get you a shift on the doors. I think now, like, if I wouldn't say to any 19-year-old, like, start working on the doors in Manchester. It's a rough place to work a lot of the time. Uh, but again, it was just game. I wanted to, I wanted to fight full time, so I ended up going that way to get back to Manchester. So while I was competing professional MMA before I joined the call, aside from 
a little bit of coaching. I was mostly making a living working security as well. Carl Tanswell, you ended up started training with him. Yeah. So how did how did he differ from the other coaches, and and how did he bring you on to develop you to to improve? Like I said, he just had an understanding. Like Carl had a a way of speaking to people that made you want want to listen to him. So straight away, you just had you had that respect. Um, and I I looked up to him massively. Like before I before I even knew Carl, my brother had um, trained at SPG a little bit. And he told me about this this crazy guy who came and shouting at everyone, but was actually a really good coach. And I was like, I was a big fan of MMA before I jo- uh, like domestic MMA as well. So I joined SPG, and when I joined SPG, they just moved to the new gym. And at that point, SPG it was before McGregor obviously made SPG Island big. The Manchester gym, I think Matty Moon was there, is a professional fighter, and there was another guy, David Garvey. There was like two guys who were fighting. I think the fight team now at SBG Manchester is huge. Like there's a lot of well-known guys there. But when I joined, they were the two main guys that were there. Um, so I'd seen how Carl had been successful with them. These two guys, I knew who they were before I joined the gym. I knew who Matt was before I joined the gym. I'd seen him fight live. And I, I remember seeing him fight like Colin, Colin Fletcher up at Total Combat. I was there live watching it. And uh, he lost the fight, but me seeing like a domestic show like Total Combat was a, it was a big event, like a big event when I was a young guy. And seeing a guy who'd like fought like a main event in Total Combat and I was in the same gym as him, I was like, fucking hell, like, this is amazing. Like, this is it's like meeting a UFC fighter, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, Carl was just, his understanding of mixed martial arts was was crazy. Like, I've trained at like quite a lot of gyms. I've never met somebody who's able to engage with so many different personalities and get the best out of all of them. Teaching the same, like teaching the same thing um, to each of them, but he was—I don't know—he was just—he made you. He was, there's different ways of leading. There's leading with like fear. There's leading with respect, and he just made you want to be at his sessions. And when he was teaching you something. You really took it on board, and but yeah, by far he's the best coach I'd, I'd ever came across at that point, and so, to this day still. So here's how I could probably, you know, assimilate my, my myself to that a little bit is that this is no slight on any of my other jujitsu coaches that I've ever had, and and here at Limston, so we're at the Commando Training Centre at the moment, doing this podcast. So when I was taking recruits through back in 2007, 2007, 2009, that's when they took on this approach of teach, coach, mentor. And when we were doing that, it, it makes perfect sense because it's, it's just teaching in a nutshell where you don't just pitch what you're trying to put, put across to people in one way and then expect them to learn that. If you can see that they're not getting it, let's just say, for instance, I'm going to use the analogy of a, a, of a rifle lesson as opposed yep. to like MMA, right? If I try and put across that they need to do a set s- sequence of things to achieve like uh, normal safety precautions on a weapon, some of them might not get it because I haven't put it across in a certain way. So you need to have 
that ability to be able to change the way that you think to the way that they think or reassimilate what you're saying so everybody understands it. So, I, I mean, I'll always say this, and I don't care if Kenny cringes at this, but Kenny is probably one of the best teachers I've ever come across. And he's come from, you know, SPG where yeah. you where you are, and he's probably fed off Carl's teaching and the way that he teaches because he breaks things down so much that you're able to understand it a lot better. Now, I can't really... How can, how can I break that down so, so people can understand it a little bit better? It's the wording that he says for you to be able to understand that, okay, let's say a Kimura, for instance, right? This is how you put a Kimura on. So anyone can sh show how to do a key lock, right? But if you show where your fingers go and the pressures that you put onto it to turn the wrist but also your body position as well to maintain your position and put that submission on as well. If you assimilate that in the correct way or in the right way like, like he does, it sinks into your mind a lot better. Now, I've had people teach different sequences and, and, and moves in jiu-jitsu. I've never done MMA, so I can't really you know mm -hmm. look at it that way, but... And they've just said, right, this is how you do it. Go and do it. And then I'm like that. And then all of a sudden, I go to do the drill. Completely forgot what I'm doing. I can't think of one time that I've ever been to a training session of his in the last four years where I've gone, uh, coach, what was that again? And I could probably imagine that might be the way that he did it. I don't know if, if you know, you tell me. Yeah, I would second that about Kenny. I, I was lucky enough to be based down in in Plymouth at 4-2. So I, I trained with Kenny for on and off, like quite spread because of work for about a year. And he's, he's yeah, hands down, he's one of the best jiu-jitsu coaches. I, I love the way that he'd come on the mat and he just like, you get the sense that he didn't want to be there and he's just like, they chilled out and he's like, right, come on, let's do some jiu-jitsu. And then he'll get there and he'll show you something. You, you're just there and you're like, fucking like, this is what I always think about um, like jujitsu coaches and MMA coaches, like where do they get all this information from? Like obviously all the information's out there, but a good coach could show you something incredibly basic, like like a Kimura, like you've just said there. And they can break it down and explain it to you in a way that it seems like it's a it's a really like a really complicated technique. And they can show something really basic and it can blow your mind in the way that they, they teach it. And I've been lucky enough to come across a few coaches like Carl, but I'd say Kenny's Kenny's definitely like that as well. Yeah, I was really lucky to to train with him. In in regard to MMA, how what did Carl do differently? Do you think if you if you can think back, what did he do differently that you just sort of like you adapted to and you thought, yeah, this this is the guy. So was it the first to... thing that brought me in was Carl as a person. Carl could be in a room like he was with like the SPG pro team when we we were getting big with a, a room full of alphas and he'd come in and straight away he was he was the guy like but he was just really innovative to the most basic things like the stuff that we were doing when the SPG pro team was coming through and was being successful he was always just trying to think of like how can I get these guys to do how can I improve them outside the box. So like he had a 
professional ballet dancer come in and do a session with us. This is before McGregor started doing all this movement stuff about body movement. And like one day he came in with a bag full of carrier bags, like Tesco carrier bags. And he had us warming up and moving around, like hitting the carrier bags and trying to keep them up and like flowing our body in different ways to move around them. Uh, he had me like hitting pads on drain pipes to try and engage my feet as I was hitting to make me more aware of my full body as I was hitting. He was just, he was always just thinking of, of different ways to not just, not just to, to coach, but to engage us, to make us think differently, to be more aware about what we would, what we were doing. And more than, yeah, it was, it was the, the personal aspect of it. Like he, he always made you feel like he was, he was there to, to get the best out of you. A lot of coaches, I imagine it's quite a hard job to be a coach where you're on a mat with 20 pro fighters, say, and for each of those pro fighters, their fight is the biggest fight. Like they only care, obviously they care about the teammate. You do care about your teammate, right? You're there to help your teammate. But when you've got a certain number of guys in, in camp, I can imagine it's quite a hard job to make each individual guy feel that you're giving him enough time you're helping him enough. Yeah, his personal management of guys was fantastic, aside from his coaching. I, I get that as well, especially, like you say, talking to Stapes. I don't think that anybody's got a bad word to, to really say about him and that everyone always praises you know, his, his coaching methods. So what was one of the first pro fights you had under Carl then, do you remember? Yeah, I do, I do remember. Um, so it was the first... So I initially trained at SPG for about nine months, the university term that I was there. And I was mixing training at SBG, even though I went down there, I sort of got sucked into the university lifestyle. So I was still going out and, you know, enjoying myself in that way. The first pro fight I had, again, this, this is like another, I can't think what year this was. This was maybe like 2011, which doesn't seem like that long ago. But the fight that I had is on my professional record. But when I got announced into the cage, I got announced under a different name. Right. Because they'd found an alternate. I was meant to fight one guy. He pulled out like two days before. And I didn't know that up until about, up until the day of the fight, I didn't actually have an opponent. So I've got to the venue. I've got in the cage and have announced me as Jordan Dewsbury. <laughs> Dewsbury. And I don't know why, because the guy who I ended up fighting is a, like an old school journeyman in MMA called Nathan Thompson. His record's like seven and seven wins and like 43 losses. So he was really game and getting there with anyone. But I got announced under a different name and I later found out that it was because he, I think he was just there maybe cornering somebody and they said, do you want to fight this guy? And for some reason, the promoter thought that he would definitely take the fight if he didn't know that I had a, a better professional record than I did. He, he announced me as Jordan Dewsbury. And again, this is a guy who, at this point, I don't even think he had seven wins at this point. Like he was a real journeyman. Like he took the fight on the day of the fight. I got in there and I found myself in a really deep triangle after about two minutes and if it was anyone else I maybe I maybe would have would have tapped out but I remember Carl just in the corner screaming I thought fuck like I, I'm gonna have to find a way out of this like I've been training with Carl I've been this is my first fight this is the first time he's seen me in the cage in my corner um I ended up somehow there was no technique in it at all it was all just muscle just muscling my way out of this triangle and then if you I think the fight is on YouTube and you have to search Jordan, Jordan Dewsbury I just like, <laughs> just out of anger, there's no technique. I just angrily just passed this guy's guard, end up getting his back and I won. And this is, so I was talking about how he he manages guys. The first fight that I had, 
afterwards, I, I won the fight and I was sulking. Again, I was like a, a young lad at this point. I was sulking. I was in the corner. And I was like, fucking hell, that was shit. That was fucking shit. And he had like four other fighters on after me at this point. I was the first guy out of five guys that was fighting. And he came in and he started telling me off. He started like going, get a grip of yourself. He, like, he wasn't thinking about the fight that I just had. He was like, you've just won a fight. All your teammates are backstage now. They don't want you going back there, sulking. They want you going back there. You've just won. You've set the wheels in motion for the rest of the night for everyone else to go out there. So instantly after that fight, he was already thinking about the rest of the guys. Yeah, that was that was the first fight I had. And then after that is when I had the, the break where I had to go home. Um, and then when I moved back to Manchester, after about three months, I had another fight. And it was a bit of a weird one because... I had a fight on a show called Full Contact Contender. But before the fight, Carl had somehow managed to get me signed to Cage Warriors. So I was having this fight on Full Contact Contender against a really tough guy. But then I was already signed to Cage Warriors. So if I lost the fight, I was still going to Cage Warriors. Um, so there was a lot of pressure. I'd only, again, when I'd been back home, I'd been back home for nine months and it was just me and my brother just going and beating each other up and like trying to do a bit of technique but we didn't have anyone there to coach us. So I'd sort of not really trained for nine months. I'd been back for about three months and had this fight and had the pressure of, of signing for Cage Warriors. How did you feel about getting signed to Cage Warriors? Because Cage Warriors was just, it was the biggest British production at the time, wasn't it? Because around about, what, 2011, 2011, 2014, it got tied in with the UFC too as yeah, well because so he got picked up by Fight, when fight Pass. When I signed for Cage Warriors, I think at that time, McGregor was the featherweight champion. Okay. And he was then going to go up, eventually went up to fight. It might have been around about the same time, actually. Um, he was either he was either the, just the featherweight champion or he was the double champion just about to go to the UFC. So this was 2012. So there was a lot of pressure. And to be honest, at that point, I, the last fight I had was the one where I ended up sulking in the corner and got triangled. So I didn't feel like I I didn't feel like I deserved to sign for Cage Warriors at that point. So in a way, it was a good it was good that I had this fight. It was, I saw it as a way to go in there against a legit guy who probably would be on Cage Warriors anyway, and legitimise why I'd signed. And I remember like at the weigh-ins, like hearing his corner say like, "Oh, we're going to take that contract. We're going to take we're going to take the contract," like as if to say, "You might sign for Cage Warriors, but we're here to." to beat you and show that we can sign there as well. Yeah, uh, that's just, well, it's blatant people trying to get in your head and there must have been quite a few mind games like that going on sometimes. Yeah, there always is. It's You see weigh-ins and it's ridiculous. You see people like getting in each other's faces and you're thinking like 24 hours you're going to be fighting. What you say to this guy now isn't going to make any difference. He's been training for the last eight weeks, but like you... I ended up doing it myself. Like always, you, you try and look for little wins at weigh-ins. You you look at the guy and like if he looks away, you you convince him. Right, he looked away. I'm going to win this fight now. Um, so that fight ended up winning the split decision. But I was I was quite happy with winning the split decision. Like I said, it was a guy who I had a lot of respect for. He he'd fought some good people, and it was a good fight. And it was the first time that I'd had a fight where I'd been training full time. And my mentality started to change. Like, okay, I'm I'm now a mixed martial artist. I'm not a cage fighter anymore. I'm a mixed martial artist. I'm taking this serious. I've just signed to Cage Warriors. Like, let's let's see what we can do. How was the so? In the, we're talking a lot about here about your fights and stuff. But how does that time with you know you the the background stuff because you're obviously training full time. 
but you know what did what did you do for money you know where were you living i was, I was working yeah, i was working the doors which was just the done thing in the gym like cage fighting doormen you'll probably come across loads of old school mma guys who were cage fighting doormen it was just what everyone did you worked the doors it sort of went hand in hand you're a professional fighter you're a tough guy it must have been a bit of a hangout though as well though because it's, it's horrible you know. yeah so you'd be working to like 3am and the sessions were always at 10am so a lot of the time you'd be getting up after like standing next to a speaker like the club I worked in was like an indie club where the average age during the week was student night so it was like 18, 19 year olds you're basically babysitting kids all night getting shouted at like just a loud atmosphere then you're waking up and like so like waking up and going to do some rounds with Stapes is not is not ideal after like three hours sleep after standing next to a speaker all night. Not at all. It, yeah, it was it's a hard I think of it now and it was a hard lifestyle, but it was just what everyone did. Like everyone in the gym, the majority of guys, there was the exceptions, but the majority of guys and as the youngest guy in the gym, the guys who I looked up to were cage fighting dormant. Like it's it's what they did. So Yeah, it, it was a hangout, but I suppose it was also like for a young guy as well working in clubs it's not not the worst job in the world I, I started watching uh, have you ever seen the you I think it's a it's a TV show I think it's on Flow Grappling but it's also on YouTube as well uh, called Daisy Fresh yeah, yeah and, and I just see them guys like just sleeping on the mats and that's literally their life grappling every single day sleeping on the mats putting crash mats down sleeping getting up training I just look at that and I Bearing in mind, when I started training, I was, what, maybe 30, 31, 32 or something like that. She was late to it, yeah. I was late, I was late to it. And um, I just remember just feeling like in a car crash all the time. Even now, sometimes. And But that's only training with, um, now it's training with people that, I don't want to say it as like demeaning, but like, you know, white belts or, you know, beginners because yeah. they just want to, you know, try and pull your head off. Um, but even now, like, I mean, I trained what a day ago and I can, my, my whole body's in I'm the I'm 29 and I, I, I can feel it now. <laughs> but when, you, when you're when that age, you, like you do recover quicker. Oh, 100%. I used to train like four hours a day. Four hours a day, I do like the morning session at SPG, try and stay home for the afternoon jujitsu and I come back in the evening and do two hours. Because as well as like recovering, you're just upset. Like younger guys, like they're seeing opportunity potentially. Like those those guys on Daisy Fresh, they've had the, the exposure now and they're thinking like, okay, they've, they've seen one of their guys um, start competing at Black Belt and do well. I think when you're young, like I certainly did with fighting, you don't see why you couldn't do it. If if you're around people who are at that level and uh, who are being successful, is that why, why can't you? I think it is. It does rub off on you a little bit, and it must have done, especially in your environment as well. So being in SPG at the very early days, through its infancy, and then you know by the sounds well, of it, before I joined SPG, had been around for a long time. But in terms of the fight team, like I, I remember um, as a young guy, like Aaron Wilkinson, who was on the, I think he was on the Ultimate Fight with GSP and Josh Koscheck. And I'd watch, like, like I said before, I was a mega fan. I'd watch it. And Aaron Wilkinson came and joined SPG. And I was like on the mat with him. And I didn't, I didn't like, I was like, you all right? Like, I didn't really know how to speak with him. And so at this point, this is a guy who'd fought in the UFC. He was like that next level guy. Um, so it, it's been it's been good to see like how 
how the fight teams came through, like over the years, like Stapes has joined, Saul Rogers has joined, we've got Jack Cartwright, who's now the um, cage, well, he was the Cage Warriors bantamweight champion. Uh, Matt Inman, obviously, has been the staple of the team the whole way through, fought for the Cage Warriors belt. But it's it's definitely good to have been there as a young guy and see the sort of generation sort of change and like now there's new guys coming through. Yeah, it must that that must be sort of like quite gratifying as well because you can see the development of it all. Um, and you know, I know Stapes is um, is one of the main coaches now as well, isn't he? Yeah, he's got his own gym. I, yeah, SPG Rochdale. Yeah. I, I don't know whether um, he's still competing or not. He competed a few years ago, I think. But when you got to Cage Warriors, did you feel like this is this is almost going to be potentially the pinnacle of the start of like a higher level career. Well, like we said, um, so I knew Cage Warriors was big, but when I was fighting, I think I didn't sort of realize the opportunity that I had. So the first fight I had on Cage Warriors was as an alternate for the Bantamweight title. So they had a four-man, one-night Bantamweight title uh, tournament. There was four guys in it, uh, Chris Edwards, James Pennington, Brett Johns, and David Hagstrom. Hagstrom, and they were going to compete. The winner of both fights would then go into the final. So the fight that I had was as an alternate. So if anyone got injured, I would then step in. The, well, the winner of my fight would then step in to fight in the final. And I was fighting a guy, he was 5-0, 6-0 at this point. It's like absolutely stackers, bloke. Like, like fully grown man, like absolutely stackers. I ended up winning the fight. I think I, I think I got a crucifix position against the cage. And then I went backstage. Obviously, I've just won my Cage Warriors debut. I was, I was really happy. I wasn't even thinking about the tournament at this point. I was just like, I just got a win on Cage Warriors. Like, this is amazing. And then Carl was like, yeah, don't take, your, don't take your hand wraps off yet. You can take your gloves off, but don't take your hand wraps off because you might fight. And I thought, there's no way there's no way anyone's going to give like give up an opportunity. Even if they're injured, they're going to get in there. But I'll just chill out a little bit. Um, I was backstage after winning this fight. I was backstage for like an hour. And I was like, can I get these hand wraps off? Like, I'm not... I'm not going to be fighting. Can I, can I take him off? And then Carl was like, no, you need you need to go downstairs and get medical now. I was like, what, just like a post-fight medical? And he's like, just come with me. Just come and get this medical. And uh, I went downstairs to where the medics were, went in there, and they were like, they basically just said, how are you? And I said, I'm fine, yeah. And they said, have you got any injuries? I said, no. I looked at, looked at Carl and said, oh, all right. So we walked out the room, and the first time that I found out I was stepping in to fight for the cage where his belt, was the guy who had won his fight earlier in the evening, uh, James Pennington, his coach said, good luck out there. Like, I hope you smash it and bring that belt back. I looked at Carl and said, what? And he went, yeah, James is injured. So uh, you're stepping in to fight for the belt. Oh, mate, you must have been like, my head, I just, what? My head just <laughs> was blown. I was like, right, right, okay. Luckily, I'd, I'd managed to, um, I think my, my fight went for about seven minutes earlier on in the evening. And I was like, right. Fuck, like, who, who am I fighting? Like, at this point, um, I'd watched the fights, but I was like, right, okay. So I figured out I was fighting Brett Johns, who, who now, he was like, he's a Cage Warriors champ. He was Titan FC champs, fought in the UFC. He left the UFC on a winning record and signed for Bellator. Um, but I'd never really seen him before. Like, I'd seen his fight that evening. I knew he was fighting a good guy and he got the win. And he did a lot of wrestling in the fight, but I'd, I didn't really know him. And I think because my record, my record at the time was six and two, 
I'd won that fight in the evening. I was seven and two, but I was relatively unknown. Um, I don't even think like my team expected me to be able to to jump in for this tournament. So I was like, right, okay, I'm fighting this guy. I said to Carl, like, what, what, what do I need to know about him? And he was just like, yeah, he's a good wrestler. So then, about two hours later, I find myself walking out down the ramp again to um, to go and fight for the Cage Warriors belt, which I was. We were both 21 years old at that point. Like me and Brett, when we got in there, we were both 21 years old, which is so young now. Like you say to, obviously I'm a younger guy in the Marines now, uh, an older guy in the Marines now, I'm 29. I, I was older when I went through training. I was saying to lads like, you, oh, you're still so young. And it sounds really patronizing, but like 21 is really, really young. Um, so yeah, ended, ended up fighting for the Cage Warriors belt. So how did, how did you... F- like feel when you got into the cage at that point because you you've obviously you you'd had your fight pre to that yeah. won it then you literally got thrown in i don't want to say you got thrown to the walls but it must i'm just trying to trying to think about how what the pressures would have been like for it as well because from going to sign into Cage Warriors, then to go in straight into a title fight within the space of so like a four to five hour period. For me, moving back to Manchester to train full time, to me then getting in the cage to fight for a Cage Warriors belt, I think it was about six months. So I'd only been training as a full time fighter for six months at this point. Um, at that point, I was just, it was a win win situation, really. I was expected to go in there and just get beat. So I thought, let's just go in there and. I suppose you just got to go in and go. Do you know what? Fuck it. Let's yeah. just sit, like like yeah. I said before. Just let's just see where it goes, and then whatever will be will be will be. Yeah, yeah. that must have, it. Must have been a nice feeling though to, to you know to be looked upon by a sort of a um, a production like that to go. Do you know what? This guy can go in and do it. Yes, I'd sort of played the game with this. I think when I signed to Cage Warriors, I'd got offered a fight on a different show. I said to Carl, well, there's a bantamweight tournament on this date. Like, can you get me on there? Orig- no, originally I was a second alternate. I was a second alternate by the fight. So I was I was like right down on the card. I was the second alternate. And then there was an injury to the first alternate bout. So then I moved into that position as the first alternate. And then there was an injury actually in the tournament. And then, yeah, I'm in there fighting for the belt. Um, the fight itself, it took me a couple of, <laughs> a couple of rounds to get going. I ended up going... Uh, another t- so I'd already had the fight earlier in that evening we ended up going 25 minutes uh, went to dis- decision I lost a split decision and I've watched the fight a few times since I can see why you would score it that way if I get- throughout the fight you probably took me down about 15 times um, but during the fight I felt like I was the one who was engaging I was like trying to fight I was trying to make it a fight I was throwing more strikes and he was taking me down he, he point scored throughout the game that, obviously that's mixed martial arts isn't it um, and he he ended up getting a split decision win so yeah after, after that I felt it felt pretty sure after that because even though I went in there and I wasn't expected to win when I got in there I, I expected to win I was there and I, I yeah. was ready I trained I was like right I'm a full time athlete now I was of the mentality of I'm going to go in there and I'm going to smash this I'm, I'm going to do well so afterwards Afterwards, it, it hit pretty pretty hard. But um. so here's a question for you. So I'm I'm quite interested in this sort of thing. So you you know, I'm an avid watcher of the UFC, which, which you full well know. You see a lot of guys coming up. You come through through the ranks pretty quick, and then they get a title shot, and then 
they don't just they just don't hit the mark they lose but then all of a sudden they fall from grace like super quick well they, that's essentially what happened with me so uh so so this this is kind of my question yeah. to you so then you get then you get other guys that obviously get to that point but then they maintain sort of like the top 5 and then regain themselves and go back for another title shot what what do you think is the from your personal experience, what do you feel is the is the mindset that people can go down that quickly or, or or lose it that quickly to or maintain it? Do you know what 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 do you th- what do you think that is? With mixed martial arts, I think there's such a high level of skill when you get in the cage, but there's also a high level of luck. So we're talking about guys who can rise that high and go really quick. I think they could just be having their best night. They could be having their best night like five times in a row before they know it, they're, they're jumping in and fighting for a fighting for a, like a UFC belt. But as easily as you can have those best nights, you can have your worst nights. And it, it's quite hard once you, you take a loss. It depends how... So after losing a split decision, I didn't feel that bad. I was I was raring to go. I was like, yeah, like let's get back in there. Um, so I think it's it's how you lose, but also the people around you will play a big part in it. If people are, if you lose in a way where you are out skilled and there's obvious obvious holes in your game, and people are telling you, don't worry about it. Like, you know, you just had a bad night at the office. You'll get back in there. I think that'll play a big part in it, but. I suppose it just comes down to each individual person deals with, obviously people deal with things differently. I know when when I took a loss, it took me like a long time to, when I took a bad loss, so it was the next fight after the Cage Warriors uh, title fight, it took me like nine months to just get the, the feeling back of, right, okay, I want to do this again. Like I feel like getting back in there. Um, it makes yeah. sense. And it, I think... We could also tie this into like a mental health situation as well because, you know, using the combat situations uh, as an example, from through my experience and what what's happened recently with the uh, uh, Matt Holmes in the Marines. Yep. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about that too much, but, um, you know, with suicides and, and people not dealing with life after been in combat situations and seeing horrific things you have people that can deal with those situations and it not affect them whatsoever but then also people that can't really just shrug it off and it's always almost not like a chip on the shoulder but it's always in the back of the mind all the time and it's being able to recognize and and deal with that mindset. So, for instance, you know, you, you said it, it took you nine months to get over that that defeat um, by split decision. But you know, some other guys, I guess, could get straight back into into the ring. You know, three four months later, and and just crack on. You know, I mean, the so, de- so, so with with that, um, the loss that I took by split decision, I I did end up getting back in there. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I got back in. Afterwards, I was like, yeah, let's get straight back in there. And that was going back to the people around me. Yeah. They, I think they viewed me like he's young, he's, he's raring to go. 
I think how you portray yourself to people is how people are gonna gonna act around you. So if you're somebody who's confident and who portrays himself out, say like in in the forces, you're a high ranking person. Every time people see you, they they immediately say an officer saluting you, like, hi sir, you're the boss. Like people maybe think this guy's got it all un- under control. So they they interact with you with that instant respect and they see you in a certain light. So maybe it's difficult for people to bridge the gap and say, like, are you okay with that? Like, well, Tyson Fury is a good example, isn't it? Like, he was the world heavyweight champion and obviously everyone knows he had mental health rush, uh, issues. He had everything that he could have and still had had the issues there. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I was able to get over a bad defeat because of the people that were around me and I think that play, played a, a big part in it. I think the people you surround yourself with can either pick you up or kick you down, can't they? So after that title fight, you had a, you had a few more fights uh, um, with Cage Warriors. You know, how... How did that play out for you? Because it wasn't long after that before you joined the core, wasn't it? Yeah, so after the, the title fight, I was I was raring to go. I got myself back in there. Uh, that was September, I fought in December. Uh, in Newcastle Arena. And it was meant to be a number one contender fight to get back in there straight away. I was meant to fight a guy called Corey Tate, who's like quite a, quite a high-level guy, still around now. And the guy pulled out on like three days' notice, and that was a bantamweight fight. And the matchmaker came to my coach and said, "Right, the only person we can get you is this this guy, someone who one of my teammates, Saul, had already fought." I spoke to Saul. I said, "What do you think?" He said, "Yeah, he'll go in there and he'll smash him." Obviously, I I just fought for the cage warriors belt. Twenty one years old. I thought, right, okay, this is pretty much like a gimme fight here, like. I'll go in there, win this fight, and I'll I'll be back in there. It was a guy who was like six and four, maybe like his record. My teammate had fought him. He was a good fighter, but he'd never really broken through. And in that fight, I went in there, took the guy down, felt really strong, had the guy's back, but like attacking for a rear naked choke, and then the guy got out. And I remember in the fight thinking, "Fucking hell." He shouldn't have got out of that that easily. And I got up, chased him to the feet, got really over eager because I'd went in there, picked him up, slammed him. Got on, I was all over him at the start of the fight. Shot for a lazy takedown. I got knocked unconscious. Like probably one of the worst, um, probably one of the worst knockouts that you'll see. I, I'm like I fall forward on the cage and I'm completely out of it. I'm talking about like how do you how do you deal with defeat? Um, that that was the one that. That hit me hard. Obviously, I've been knocked out. My my mum, granddad, like my family, my, my friends were there in the crowd. I had to go and see them afterwards. That that was a hard defeat to co- uh, to come back from. Really, really hard. Uh, I took a bit of time out of the gym, but then it was the people in the gym who who pulled me back in and said, "Look, you're a young guy. You've achieved a lot already. Get yourself back in here." And that that's what that's what brought me back from potentially not wanting to compete after that. You know, I was embarrassed. It was I was seeing the video everywhere. It went viral. The video of this knockout went viral afterwards. I think in like a day it had like a hundred thousand views. It was a good fair play to the bloke. It was a good knockout. 
So all I all I saw at that point was, right, I've been back at this for like a year now. I've just fought, for, fought uh, like a good fight for a belt. And then I just lost all that. I just, everything that I'd done before that was no longer valid. It was like, right, that's who I am now. I'm the bloke who just got knocked out. So in that situation, I needed the people around me, especially as a younger guy, to pull me back in and say, look, that's that's not going to define you as a fighter. You, what you do next and where you go from here will define you. So like taking a knock, it it took a while for me at that point to... I had people say, come back straight away, but it took a while for me to want to, to want to go back. And when I went, when I decided that I wanted to go back in, to have the reassurance from people around me who I looked up to, to say, just come back in, no one cares. And then the first day I went in the gym, there's people making jokes about it, about me getting knocked out. And it just made it, it made it, made it, um, made it okay. Like we were just laughing and joking about it. Someone was like, fucking hell, you look like you got shot by a sniper. So from there, um, talking about how you come back from it, the next fight that I took was on Cage Warriors again. Fought a guy who was in the Bantamweight tournament, actually, Chris Edwards. I was warming up for the fight. Everything's going fine. It was the first fight of the, the main card. And I was backstage, and because it, it was the first fight of the main card, I was the first one to walk out. And I'm stood on the ramp and started playing the intro for Cage Warriors because it was streaming live and I'm a major junkie at this point. I'm on the ramp and I'm feeling really good and I look up and I'm like watching the video for Cage Warriors intro and I look up and I bang, I see it, me getting knocked out. This is this is about two minutes before I'm about to walk out to the cage after, I think at this point I'd had a year out of the cage and the, f- the last thing that I saw before I made the walk to walk out was a video of me getting knocked unconscious on the big screen in, in, the, in the arena. That, that was hard to deal with, walking out there for that. I can't imagine that. I mean, that's that, to be honest with you, that's proper Jack from the production doing that as well. I know. I well, know they, they just put they, all they've done is they just put together like all the highlights, like yeah. the best knockouts, like all all the best fighters that have been on there. Because it was a recent knockout that had had gone viral. Yeah. As I'm just about to to walk out, I look up and see this video, and I'm like, oh, these are getting me hyped up. I'm seeing other people getting knocked out. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna do this. And then bang, there's me just getting laid out in the cage. Yeah, that 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 was. Um, I had to just put that to the back of my mind and get back in there, but it, it was difficult to deal with that, as you can probably imagine. Uh, Should have done walkouts with like you know those uh, those glasses that blind people blinkers, have, yeah. like on the side, <laughs> so you can't see anything. Yeah, yeah. You coming in, so you can't see out. <laughs> yeah, if I'd known, I, I maybe would have. How did that fight go anyway? Uh, I, yeah, so I won the fight, but it's quite a boring fight. If I'm honest, I didn't want to engage that much. I don't know how much seeing that before I walked out, because before I walked out there, I felt ready to go. I'd made the decision. I was over the over the loss. I was set. I was ready to go, but it was quite a boring fight. But I ended up getting the decision. It was a unanimous decision against a, a well-ranked guy, so I got the win. So at that point, I was what, two and two on Cage Warriors. What made you want to leave the MMA scene? Because you, you didn't you didn't really make it back to have uh, another title shot, did you? No. Uh, and you made the decision over like a few year, few years period to like you know join the Marines because I know you you know you your brother joined up before you didn't yeah he? he joined up like two years beforehand yeah so what made you want to do that complete transition from doing something like mixed martial arts and be like, like the pinnacle of of like the martial arts you know um, pyramid and, and then go it's all gone I, I, just something I'd always wanted to do. Um, 
so when I was 17, I went into the careers office and got told about the Marines. I didn't really know about them beforehand and it spiked an interest there. But I was because of fighting, I decided that will always be there. I can, I can do it. So by the time I decided to join the Marines, I was 24 when I put my application in and it took me like just shy of a year to actually get in. And I'd won my last three fights. So I had that fight on Cage Warriors. Uh, I think my contract had... I signed a free fight contract initially. I'd had the free fights on Cage Warriors. And then I had two fights outside. I got two first round, two second round stoppages. So I was riding free wins when I decided to, to join the Marines. And I think because I'd had success at 21 years old, what I defined as success, I'd looked at it as if well, I'm 24 now. Like, if I'm not getting anywhere with MMA, I need to shift my focus and, and try and do something else, which I'd, has ended up being a good decision because I've taken a lot out of being in the Marines and I, I enjoy being in the Marines. But I do sometimes think, like, you know, if I'd have stayed with fighting, what, what would have happened? But it was, I'd seen my brother go through training, I'd been down to his pass out, and coming here, seeing guys like marching around with rifles and just everything like his pass out, there's people on bottom field and it was the challenge. It, it sort of ignited the the feeling that I had of MMA as a young guy. It was something new and something exciting and something to get stuck into and like the 99% need not apply. Like all, all the advertisement really sucked me in at that point. And I decided, I'd already decided that I was going to stop fighting. I don't, don't know why. I think I just sort of burned out. Like the the passion for fighting just wasn't there, so I put my application in for the Marines. I decided to have one more fight to see how I felt in there. I had the fight, lost a split decision, but it just it wasn't it wasn't didn't feel like fight. That just sort of said to me, okay, you you made the right decision here. You shouldn't be fighting anymore. Like the the fire had just gone, and I was way more excited about joining the Marines. I spoke to my brother. I'd spoken to Stapes about it, and my brother, and it just it just seemed like a good opportunity, a good challenge. How did you find that transition from being a professional top level MMA fighter to go through training? And because it, it's a very it's a very different type of sport specific enduring endurance training for the body because that's completely you know, yeah completely different. Yeah, you would have been you know, the high level, even though, you know, the the title fights are, you know, five, five minute rounds or five, three minute rounds, five three, times, yeah. five minute rounds. There we go. Get it right. Um, it's almost kind of very explosive, like American football, like you're going boom, mm -hmm. sh short burst, bang, stop, yeah. short burst, bang, stop to then traverse and then go into an environment, especially in recruit, uh, Royal Marines recruit training, where everything is very endurance-based um, and you're being shouted at and being told what to do and you don't really have a saying, you know, what you are doing from day to day for 32 weeks. You know, how did you find that transition? I think it helped for, for me personally because I was going, going from something that, I mean, I was never a high-level fighter. Like, I fought in cage warriors. Circumstance put me in for a, a cage warriors title shot. I fought for a good level. I, I think I ended up 10 and 5 as a professional MMA fighter. But starting training, like you've just said there, it's nine months intensive. Like It it was the fresh start that I needed. It completely 
switch like I wasn't thinking about MMA when I'm up up at like two AM in the morning ironing in a drill shirt. I'm not thinking like fuck I should I should still be fighting. Do you know what I mean? When I'm crawling around on bottom fields, getting pieces and shouted at down there, it just completely it was a, it was a smooth transition. It was one that I needed and it was enjoyable as well. Like obviously when you're in marine training, it's fucking hard. Like I expected it, like you said, as a professional MMA fighter, I was twenty five when I actually started training. I looked around the room and there was like people from all all different backgrounds, ages. I thought I'll probably be okay here. Like, my brother's been through training. But I found tra- like there's certain aspects of training that were fine. There's other things in training that I found really hard. I didn't expect to at any point be like broken down. Like by training, like I said, I'd spent years in an MMA gym literally getting beaten up, you know. Um, but training, the way I think of training now is like school. So when you're in school, it's shit, isn't it? Like you're there and you're like, fuck, this is hard. Like you've got exams, you've got all this coming up and you, you're constantly in a state of like, you constantly got something coming up and you, you're working towards something. And at the end of the day, you go, fucking hell, I've got to go back to school tomorrow. But then at the end of school, you look back and you only have good memories. Like, I don't think of training and think of like hanging out on a yomp. I think of like messing around in the grotto with the lads and like the camaraderie that you build with the guys in training. I think it's it's relatable to MMA. Like, it's a special bond that you build, especially if you like. I was lucky enough to to join training and go through training in nine months and thirty two weeks. Especially if you stay with those guys all the way through, like you you experience a lot. Like that nine months. The amount, like, the amount of stuff that you have to learn as well. I think people just think of it as like a physical beasting, but at the end of nine months to be a, a competent soldier, well, you know it's like death by PowerPoint. Like Nods get called nods, for obviously, for a reason, nodding off in lectures and things like that. But to actually get to the point where you're a competent Royal Marine at the end of training, there's so much information that you need you need to learn. Like we're talking about like a rifle lesson one. I remember handling a rifle for the first time and being like, I've n- I was I was lost. I was like trying to, I was trying to cock it and I was like getting it. I couldn't even cock a rifle. You know what I mean? And then by the end of training, the the progression that you go through, especially so like obviously you've been on the training team yourself. You've probably seen lads and be like, there's no way he's gonna pass out. I think it's very much to do with. I, I, I ran um, a course here at Limston called the Look at Life course, which is, yeah. it, it brought um, from different areas around the UK that are all put into like brackets, like like counties, um, which fall underneath the um, careers office. Mm-hmm. And the guys used to turn up and they go, oh, you know, I want to join the Marines and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you know what do you think? And I, I always say to them, I wish I'd done what you did. I wish I'd joined when I was like 24, 25. Now, the reason why I say that is what before you joined up, you had life experience. You know, you you had a job. You got to the level of MMA that you were. You had life experience and you had um, you had relationships with other people. I joined up when I, I went to the careers office when I was 17 and I joined up when I was 18. So I'd passed out of training. I was going on ops when I was 19, you know, so 
my experience from going through training to your experience is very much different. I was in survival mode. I couldn't remember anything. I wasn't particularly good at fizz, but I just grizzed it out. I got to the got to a point where I was like, I've really I've been here long enough now. I really don't want to be in here. And it was almost kind of I I can honestly say, hand on my heart, bearing in mind I'm talking about twenty one years ago now. I don't have any fond memories of recruit training apart really? from just getting absolute frag to fuck. There were some good boozes, but yeah, there was no at no point did I go, oh, this is oofing. No point. It wasn't until probably yeah. five years after I'd passed out of training. So I'd been I'd been to Afghanistan on Abdukana and I'd done Telic, where I'd kind of accepted to myself that I'm a bootneck. At, at, at no at no point did I did I feel that because I'd still, when I passed out of training, I was just fucking scared. When you, when you passed out of training, though, like, did you know that you were going to be going straight out on? No. Oper- you didn't know? No, no, because... So when, uh, when did you pass out? So I passed out in uh, um, January 2001. So it was a year... Was it a year it later? Year of a it was a year later, September 11th, wasn't it? Was it a year later? I can't remember. It was anyway. Wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, it was. It, it was, was six months later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, six months later after I passed out of trains. But we didn't... Yeah, um, I suppose as a young guy, you wouldn't know what that meant. No. I mean, look, I've, even now it's kind of like real real super foggy. And I just knew I was... I, and even on Abjikana, I mean, I'm digressing a little bit from what we're talking about. But I didn't have a fucking clue where I was. It's only like 10 years later, I asked the people that I was with and I said, you know, where were we? Oh, we're up in the Hindu Kush. We're down on the Pakistan border. I knew rough town names. Still didn't have a... a goddamn clue where I was at all and and that was just and and the people that I was with they were scary people and people I was you were working alongside yeah so my corporals my sergeants my sergeant majors I was always really scared like still scared at that age you know two three years after still really scared so going back to what we were talking about you know you, you joined up at at, at 24 when I said to people they they need to have a little bit of life experience, that's from my experience telling them that because at least then they know what what different personalities are like and, and all that sort of thing. I think, yeah, every situation is obviously different. Like there's certain people who are young, don't have life experience, that need to come here and get the life experience. They need this experience to better them as to to take them further and... Um, if they didn't come and join marine training, who knows where they would end up? You know, you know. So there's a there's a broad range of mm. people in training, like different education levels, from you know, like rough areas, like well off areas. Um, so every situation is different. I think. I remember I was in training with a guy who was 16, and at the time I thought like, "Fuck me, I, I can't imagine going through training at six. Like, what was I doing at 16?" Um, like I couldn't. I couldn't imagine going in this environment. Even though I was, even though at sixteen I, I was fighting. I couldn't imagine being here at sixteen. Like it would seem like such a intimidating place. But after speaking to him, I understood why he was here. And I think someone in that sort of situation, this is the perfect place for them to be to get that experience. Mm. Maybe not the same sort of life experience that a twenty-four-year-old would have, but. For them, 
to come through the doors as like a young a young 16 17 year old and be surrounded by men it's going to force them to to grow up and like you say like you're looking at people and, and being intimidated by them i think one of the best things about the force like even at even at 25 year old going through training there were still people who i met in training and i was like fuck me this looks scary like i still had that level of intimidation with the corporals and like you get that that moment when you pass out of training and you see your corporal on on camp and like I'm when I passed out of training I was 26 I've got a kid like got a house and like I'm a fully grown man but I'm still like oh my corporal like it is weird no matter, I think it? no matter what age or what background you if you once you decide to come and start training everyone's going to have their own their own different issues like I struggled with being away from home whereas for a younger guy they they're happy to be away like i struggle with the first paycheck when you go through training is well i think you get paid like 16 grand a year maybe not even so the first paycheck i was like fuck i just covered my bills whereas a 16 year old is like bloody hell i've just got paid like 900 quid so here's here's the comparison to this so i was super young your boss was 16 i think um, when, when he when he joined up. So, you know, he was in that bracket that you were just talking about. But there was a guy who was a sergeant in the French Foreign Legion who'd left the Legion and was in his probably just a bit older than you now, mid-20s, 26 maybe. And he'd seen more operation experience in Africa with the French Foreign Legion in anti-tanks, actually. Yeah. It was a striping anti-tanks. I won't go into the, the sort of stuff that he'd done because it was fucking pretty grim like so i remember being in training and he had a house with his wife no a flat with his wife uh, in the city center of exeter and i remember going in there and he was showing me these black and white books of him going up uh, mountains in cyprus like with massive backpacks on when when we were in when i was in training yeah. and i was like that and this guy was you know you get your diamonds and your your section ic's and stuff when you go through training he was th- he was that guy he had more operational experience than the training team put together, okay. and I was just like that. So, so that was the demographic that we that I, that I had. I had this guy that was like pretty much a war hero. Yeah. <laughs> and then on yeah. the flip side of it, there was your boss, me, and a few of the other guys. One of the guys being my RSM. And you went for training with yeah my boss yeah with your boss boss. and uh and and my rsm now up up at the commander logistic regiment we all went through training together and we were at a very similar age between 16 and 16 and 18 and there was this guy that was there and there was another guy that had been in the navy for like five or six years so there was a there there was lots of like you're saying lots of different characters had different life experience um and, and that's where i kind of get my perception now when people ask me you know um, when should I join up? And I say, look, have a little bit, go and do a bit, and then see how you feel after it. Go and experience life. You know, go and meet some girls, go and do whatever you want to do. Make some mistakes. Make yeah. some mistakes. Yeah. And then at the end of that time, you know, reassess what your life situation is, uh, and then and then go and do it if you want to do. That's the way I saw it anyway. But yeah. Mate, we've been going for... Uh, for an hour and a half now. Um, it's been legendary talking to you. 
I'm sure there's another podcast somewhere about you know recent grappling antics and we've got the core champs next week. Core champs, yeah. yeah the the Royal Marines uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or let's call it grappling competition next week. Yeah. So that's that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, George, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, talking to you. And uh, thanks for spinning them stories. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Cheers. And that's it. If you're enjoying the podcast, like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider. Also leave a little comment if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And next week's podcast should be with the Crest guys. So listen out for that one. In fact, it's not next week. It's in two weeks time. So thanks for listening.